He is risen. Come on, he is risen. So I promised myself that I wouldn't get caught up in the music and start singing. Because I got a timer on my voice right now. I'm fighting a cold and so I'm hoping now I got a little carried away, a little caught up. So I'm hoping we'll make it through. But Lord, we thank you so much. Lord, we thank you for this Easter Sunday. God, we come together to hear from your word. We come together, Lord God, to hear from your spirit that teaches us, that leads and guides us in truth. Lord, would you do just that today? Would you reveal something deep about the resurrection life in us? The reality of Christ rose from the grave, resurrected, alive, seated at the right hand of the Father. Lord, we thank you for your salvation. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to do something a little less traditional. We're going to actually continue in our series in Colossians today. And here's the reason why. Here's the reason why. I believe that everything that we talk about in church, everything that we read about in the New Testament in particular, all comes back to the resurrection. It all comes back to the resurrection. It all comes back to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we're going to make that full loop today, but bear with me as we get there. Do you remember, do you remember the 90s of youth ministry? Anybody, anybody here, were you either in youth in the 90s? Or you were a youth leader in the 90s. Can I just see your hands? You're either a youth leader in the 90s or you were a youth in the 90s. Okay, I remember the, ni- the 90s was like the wild west of youth ministry. Do you remember all the crazy ridiculousness of the 90s in youth ministry? We got our way with so much stuff. This is before insurance companies came to churches and said, hey, cut it out. Like we... Oh man, we got away with so much stuff. Like stuff that would actually like almost kill kids. Anybody part of one of those youth events? I remember, I remember uh, early in my years as a youth pastor, I, I did this youth event where kids would have to fill their whole mouth with a banana, like peel it, but fill their whole mouth, and then we put a stocking over their head, like pantyhose. And then they'd have to try to get the, they'd have to try to spit the banana out. And of course it wouldn't go out, so it would just like go everywhere. And we had kids choking and... You know, like, that was, the, that was the wild west of youth ministry. But who remembers the trend that came out, WWJD? Who remembers that? Who still has their bracelet somewhere? Their what would Jesus do bracelet? Anybody? That was like, it was a global phenomenon back in the 90s. But what's interesting about that phenomenon is... Though the 90s kind of claim it as a trend, it actually came much, much earlier um, ahead of of that. Actually, Charles M. Sheldon, he's a Topeka minister out of Kansas and an evangelical Christian writer, and he wrote a novel called In His Steps, and the subtitle was What Would Jesus Do? But I would argue that this This movement goes all the way back to the first century when we read the the words of Paul in Colossians. Now, I'm not advocating the return of merchandising around WWJD, but I'm also kind of convinced that the way we did that in the 90s was incomplete. It was incomplete. 
And I want to get into that. But if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn to me, Colossians chapter 3, verses 17. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. And we're just going to camp out right there. So you're not going to do a whole lot of moving around. And it says this, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God through the Father through him. Now, I want you to underline just a couple things, all right? If you got a highlighter, you got a pen, you're allowed to mark up your Bible, that is okay. If anybody told you once upon a time, don't you ever mark up your Bible, it's sacred, and it's, ignore them, please. Make some notes, write some things down. If you got a pen, if you got a highlighter, just mark this up. I, I, I read out of the English Standard Version, and so in case you're wondering what I preach from, I preach from the English Standard Version, for those of you who are like ongoing and you're wondering, okay, what does Lucas preach from? But it's the English Standard. Mark these words. The word whatever and the word everything. The word whatever and the word everything. Perhaps you have the King James Version. Yours, yours would say whatsoever and all. Whatsoever and all. NIV, it would say whatever and all. And why is this important? Well, for two reasons. The context of this verse is still in the context of Christian community. We, we can't take this out of context, right? This is still in the context of Christian community. And Paul is still laying out the life of the believer, not just as individuals, but in the context of our responsibility for one another. Living in diversity, united by this mission that we have in the cross of Christ Jesus, the gospel message. But there are some liberties that we can take as we look at the verses in the context of the whole of God's word. And this applies to every area of life, every environment in which we live and in which we play. In other words, there's no categories of living that the demand and need for Christian living do not apply. There's no category of life. Paul, Paul is going to give us no way of escape in every area of life, relationships, community, work, or play. When it comes to living this out and walking through this filter, and we'll talk about that in a second. And yes, I did say even play. My, my fast, first pastorate was in a church in New Westminster, and uh, we had a gym. And how many know if your church has a gym, you got a ball hockey league, Right? And so in, in, the, in the city in New Westminster, we had a Thursday night ball hockey league. And I still remember, if you go to Connaught Heights now, uh, and you go to the double doors that exit out into the parking lot from the gymnasium, you're going to see about four little dimples in the metal door there. Because that's when my pastor and I had a heated discussion outside. And in my youth, I put a little bit of a dent in the door. Or I remember my associate pastor, we were running down, and you know how it is, you're running down, you're trying to get to that ball as fast as you can, and my stick, like, just, he, he, he slowed up, I slowed up, and he didn't slow up, and we were getting really close to a wall, and I didn't expect it, so my, my stick got caught up in his legs, and so it just can't opened him. I let go of it right away, but... He was on his knees and he grabbed me by my shirt. I came to see if he's okay and took a big old swing at me. Okay? So these are the pastors <laughs> of this church, this poor church. We had people far from God. We had people that were church members watching the pastors lose their stuff. 
But Christian love and Christian maturity and walking through a filter in every area of life, Paul gives us no escape. We have to own up to it. So the stage is set. We're going to move on to what, what Paul is holding fast to here in the first century. He's holding this church, this fledging church to this. With this filter that's applicable to everything, to all things, every area of life, relationship, community, family, work, play, and living. It's not just about what you, what you say, but also what you do. These things matter for, for the sake of the unity of the church, the home, the workplace. These things matter, even when playing ball hockey. And Paul writes in Romans 12, 17 to 18, he says, Repay no one evil for evil. But give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. As far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, now there's a caveat before we go on and a, and a great reminder that, that I hope that, that will give you some peace. You know, he does say, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Lisa spoke last week that peace is not synonymous with the idea of no conflict. That's not a biblical idea of peace. To have relationship is to have conflict. That's the nature of relationship. That's the nature of maturing and becoming better and growing in faith, is community in conflict at times, calling us, admonishing and correcting and the best example of that from the New Testament is, is when Paul, he corrects Peter. And he does it very publicly because Peter's, Peter's um, grievance was very public behavior. And he was marginalizing the Gentiles. If you don't believe me, go to Galatians. Paul writes about it in Galatians chapter 2, 11 to 14. I, I dare you to check it out. I would love to have been a fly on, on the church wall when, when Paul calls Peter out publicly. And calls them to something better and something greater and something more honorable. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Write this down if you're taking notes, and, and I hope that you are. We, we, we don't gather here as a spectator sport, right? We gather here as participants in the preaching of God's word because the Holy Spirit's doing something deep in us. When we gather together, the presence of God is here. That's what we believe. And so when you're in Scripture, whether individually or whether in community, it's the Spirit of God that's giving us deep revelation. And so if you're taking notes, I hope that you are. Write this down. A little equation. Obedience plus proximity times thanksgiving equals a life of worship. Obedience plus proximity times thankfulness equals a life of worship. We're going to unpack that in a moment. Colossians 3.17, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. I want you to notice the filter that Paul is creating for the one who believes in the finished work of Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, the one who has made us new in Christ, now carries the one who's been made new now carries a cross and carries a responsibility and carries the very presence of Christ in them. This is a great responsibility. Now, I want to just break down the word responsibility, and I want to just give it maybe some empowerment 
Responsibility is made up of two words, response. Your response to salvation and continued journey to looking more and more like Jesus every day. Your response to the resurrected Jesus. And then ability, the Holy Spirit empowerment to take that journey. We have a responsibility because God empowers us to walk it out. He doesn't just give us a responsibility and leave us to flounder and try to figure it out. No, we have a response and we have the ability. We have both in the empowerment of the Spirit. He's given all that you need to walk this out day by day. Paul's closing the loop here. N.T. Wright says he's closing the circle. Think back to when we read in 2.16. It's been a while. But back in Colossians 2.6, sorry, 2.6. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. In other words, part of the Christian life is understanding both how Jesus lived his life according to the Gospels and understanding how that plays out in our lives through the teachings of the apostles. Obedience is part of the equation when it comes to a life of worship. Now with that said, I want to I rabbit trail for a moment because when I say teaching according to the apostles, I mean the first century apostles. And Oftentimes I wouldn't caveat with this. I wouldn't kind of get sidetracked. But there's just some global movements that are happening right now. I believe in the, I believe in the fivefold ministry. I believe in apostles. But I would say apostles with a small lowercase a. Okay? There's a difference between apostles of today and the apostles, capital A, of the first century that gave us the scriptures. And the reason that's important is if you ever have a teacher or someone that's claiming to have a progressive revelation is the terminology we use today that we hear a lot today. Progressive revelation as an apostle, they'll say things such as the apostles at the time weren't dealing with this then. And so now the Holy Spirit is giving us revelation in today and I'm leading that as an apostle. Run away from that person as fast as you can. Because when we're talking about the teachings of the apostle, we're talking about first century apostles that gave us this. That's what we filter everything through. Obedience to the teaching of God's word and the apostles of the first century. Our equation, obedience Plus what? Proximity times thanksgiving equals a life of worship. I said before that WWJD is incomplete. The second part of the equation is proximity. William Barclay, he says this of 317. He says, if we bring every word and deed to the test, and I want you to hear this, to the test of the presence of Jesus Christ, we will not go wrong. I'm going to read that again. I want you to just think of that. Not just to what he says, not just to what we know of him. No, he takes it a step further. If we bring every word and deed to the test of the presence of Jesus with you everywhere you go, we will not go wrong. WWJD is incomplete because it speaks simply of behavior. And not to the reality that the presence of Jesus Christ is in us. Whether there's others around or not. 
Remember, faith is not just about behavior modification. If we start with behavior modification, we're going to have a horrible, horrible life. It's going to be horrible. It's not going to be fun. And you are going to be living condemned and broken and beating yourself up all the time. But we start with proximity. We start with relationship. We start with the resurrected Jesus alive in us and that intimacy that he calls us into. This faith isn't just about behavior modification. We don't just view actions through the lens of a distant God and a distant teaching, but rather as those who have been made new in Christ Jesus, we carry in our hearts, our souls, the very presence of Christ manifested in the Holy Spirit in and through us. We are bearers of light. I told you before, my name is Lucas. Lucas means bearer of light. We are bearers of light. And so the call to lay down our lives, to pick up our crosses, speaks to this awesome responsibility that we have as those that carry Jesus with us everywhere we go. Proximity, presence of God with us in all things, in all places, in all relationships, at work, at play, in the good and in the bad in the temptation, and in the succumbing to temptation. We carry the presence of Jesus. There's a great saying that, that's old as the hills, but I, I want to give, give credit this way, uh, to uh, Pastor Craig Rochelle. He kind of says it this way. Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. Who's ever heard that? Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. This speaks to the power of proximity. Just think for a moment about the power of relational proximity in your life. In, in high school, I had a number of, of tribes that I kind of hung out with. Um, I was an athlete, and so I had kind of my, my athletic tribe. And then I had my church tribe. And those, those, they were actually very separate. I had very few friends that went to my high school that also went to my, my church. And so I had these very distinct environments in which I lived. And when I was with my athletic tribe, it was a gong show. My life was a bit of a gong show. The more and more time I spent with them, the less and less Christ-like I looked. And when I hung out with my church tribe, the the more time I spent with them, the more and more I grew in faith and grew in proximity to Jesus. There's something powerful about who we surround ourselves in. I remember when I got to college, when I got to Bible college, I, 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 maybe I was a little naive, but I thought, man, I'm at Bible college. Everybody here feels called to God and ready to just pursue Jesus. And, and, and then I got there and I realized no, not everybody is as passionate as I am about the call of God and pursuing Jesus. And as a young man, I had to start making some really distinct choices. Who am I going to surround myself with? Who do I want to look more and more like if I hang out in proximity with them? But the same principle is true of Jesus. Proximity with Jesus, intimacy with Jesus, going deep 
in knowing Jesus. What, what, what does a life of worship look like? It's obedience to God's word. But it also is proximity. It flows out of this intimacy we have with Jesus. And the more and more we spend time with Christ, the more and more we understand him through the preaching of the word, through the scriptures, as we look at the New Testament, as we read the gospels, the more and more we get in proximity with Jesus, the more and more our future is going to look like him. So a life of worship, obedience, plus proximity. And these become realities. They become filters for our actions and our reactions. How many know it's not always about our actions? We don't often necessarily get in trouble with our actions. It's our reactions, right? It's when the world hits us upside the head. How do we react? How do we step out and act when that happens? Obedience plus proximity. In word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Can you bring Jesus along for the ride in the word or deed that you're about to walk out? Of what you know of Christ and with the reality that he's with you now, can you take that journey applying his name to it? But it doesn't end there. There's a multiple that we have to make in the area of obedience and proximity. The problem with leaving the equation as it is, is we take this and and then we apply human pride to it, right? We take this, you know, obedience plus proximity, and then we legalize it. And then we'll begin to abuse it. We'll begin to compare ourselves with others and, and either feel really great about ourselves or feel really horrible about ourselves. We'll begin to hold others to the same standards that we're holding ourselves. We'll, we'll legalize it. So what's the multiple that protects us, particularly in community, from getting messy with this? The multiple is thanksgiving. Obedience plus proximity times thanksgiving equals a life of worship. Verse 17, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. Giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. We recognize the Trinity in this statement. The life and example of Jesus, resurrected and exalted, The proximity of the Holy Spirit working in us, the reality of Jesus in us, empowering us for this journey, and giving thanks to the Father who sent his Son to begin this journey of redemption for humanity. Thanksgiving, thanksgiving, thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is an exercise that turns our hearts away from ourselves and to the recipient. It's an exercise really of humility. I want you to think back to the last time someone gave you something ridiculously extravagant. Can you think to that moment? Was the last time someone gave you something significantly extravagant? Maybe it was a birthday or it was a, an anniversary or just it was just out of the blue and someone just gifted you something and you're like, do you remember your first reaction? What was your first reaction? For most of us, it's not Thanksgiving. What is it? Oh, man, you, sh- you shouldn't have. Right? Here, here's, here's the, like, if we're going to be honest, here's our first reaction. 
absolute guilt. <laughs> right? Now, now, maybe not just, just, but when it's unexpected and it's extravagant and it's generous and it's over the top, our first thing is to protest so often. You shouldn't have done that. You know what that is? It's pride. That's what it is. That's our first reaction. That's human nature. That's our thing. Is the pride of life wells up in those moments. Especially when we know that, that we haven't reciprocated that level of generosity. Right? Because... Because we live, in a, we live in a sort of world and pattern of thinking that is so much, I'll give if you give back, right? And if we know that we haven't reciprocated to that level, to that mo- momentous kind of generosity, what does it do? It actually makes us feel bad. But then, what do we do? We begin to thank them. And it's usually because they assure us, no, I wanted to do this. I'm, 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 you know, and they assure us and they give us the thing. We have that little Canadian standoff, right? And it's just pride. It's pride and guilt. So that's all it is. You know, as Christian believers, you think we'd be better at understanding the grace of receiving. But that's when we move to thanksgiving. We begin to thank them. What, it, what, what really is thanksgiving? Thanksgiving is the embracing of a humility that doesn't come naturally to us. We move to that person that gave us that extravagant gift and, we, and we, we get through the emotion and the guilt and the pride and all of that and then we move to thanksgiving and it's an embracing of a humility, a kind of humility just think it through the last extravagant gift and the stages that you went through in processing it. The multiple of thanksgiving does so much more in us than it does for the giver of the gift, even in the context of God. I'm sure he's thrilled when we, his children, learn deep thanksgiving. But I think he's even more thrilled about the deep work of thanksgiving does in us. He's thrilled about how when we give thanks, we're embracing a type of humility and understanding and a grace to receive from him. R.C. Lucas writes, once again, thankfulness is Paul's chief pro- prof- prophylactic. Prophylactic. Am I there? Am I there? All the prophylactic. Prophylactic. Thank you, David. Against the spiritual ills. Once again, thankfulness is Paul's chief prophylactic against the spiritual ills. And what is a prophylactic? Prophylactic is is an adjective that means intended to prevent disease. Thanksgiving is the ongoing vaccine. Yes, I went there. And the daily inoculation that guards our hearts in the midst of this journey of faith. When we begin to understand the extravagance of this gift of Christ Jesus alive in us, we must overcome our pride initially and then enter into this deep and ongoing thanksgiving, a grace to receive the gift of salvation, 
the grace to receive the ability to walk out this journey of looking more and more like our resurrected Jesus every day. This multiplies our capacity and desire to walk in obedience in an ever-increasing proximity and intimacy with Jesus alive in us. Ultimately, this is what it takes to live a life of worship. Obedience plus proximity times thanksgiving equals a life of worship. And this is where the truth of Easter Sunday ultimately brings us. Lisa spoke about kind of the metaphor, you know, spiritually where we're all at, because we're all at different places, and we recognize that. And we believe if we're going to be a church that's a safe place for everyone to explore faith in Jesus, encounter his love, and look more and more like him each day, that we should expect that we have those, you're in different places. Some of you, maybe you're sitting here and you haven't. You haven't embraced Jesus as your Savior. Part of this walk and part of this journey of life is knowing the proximity of having Jesus close. And so I would invite you to just take a season, maybe even this Easter season, and to begin to contemplate the brokenness of life. Not just, not just in looking around at society and culture, but the brokenness of your life. Many of us here, we had to come to terms with the brokenness of our life. And it was out of that understanding that we needed something more, that we began to search and we found Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, God's Son, the creator of the universe, his Son sent to us. And we have to receive him. And there's a grace to receive. And there's a faith to receive. And we say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart and into my life and save me from myself. And in that moment, we die to ourselves. And then we begin to walk in what we call obedience. We begin to get hungry for what it is to live out this life in the best possible way. Because here's the reality. If God created you and God created everything that you see and everything that you know, it only stands the reason that he knows best how you operate and how you live and find fulfillment and find peace and find joy. And so we walk in that proximity with him, alive in us, and we walk in obedience to his word. And we guard our hearts with the multiple of thanksgiving daily. Thank you. Jesus, for your resurrection. Thank you that you came and you willingly carried that cross to Golgotha Hill and were crucified there. Thank you that you were separated from the Trinity in that moment as you took our sin, as you took my sin upon you. Thank you that it didn't end in a tomb in first century Jerusalem, but that you rose again. Thank you, Lord, 
that faith isn't about just being blind faith, but Lord, it has substance and it has evidence and it points us to Jesus. Thank you for what you're doing in our hearts and in our lives. This Easter weekend, Lord, would you have your way in us? As the worship team comes, we're going to sing that, that, that song that we kind of close with. We're going we're gonna to finish with some celebration. Over the last little while, I've had just awesome opportunities to sit with those that either are exploring faith in Jesus or just know that there's that, that moment, that thrust in their lives that they need to do something different. And I've had the opportunity to sit with many people over the last little while. It's just been such a fun season. And if you're here today and you want to just ask some questions or get some clarification or, or talk about what the Spirit of God is doing in your life right now, um, please, coming out of this Easter season, I would love to hear from you. I'd love to sit down with you. And I'd love to talk to you about my Jesus, who I love, who saved me from my brokenness. And has given me life. And he's got life for you as well. He loves you so much. God bless you. Why don't we stand together as we sing?